Listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Elland. Today we're going to talk about depression. It's estimated that 20% of women and 10% of men suffer from depression. Maybe it's higher in women because they have to deal with men. Who knows? I would think so. What is depression? Depression is described as a state of low mood and aversion to activity that can affect a person's thoughts, behavior, feelings, and sense of well-being. People with a depressed mood may be notably sad, anxious, or empty. They may also feel notably hopeless, helpless, dejected, or worthless. And joining us to talk about her depression and cannabis is Bo Nellis of California. She also has her own podcast, the Spliff Podcast. Bo, thanks for joining us. Good to talk to you. Oh, it's great to be here. So excited. Thank you. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rank your depression? Currently, rank my depression around a four right now. I've been battling it a little bit, um, but it's certainly been worse. So I'm doing pretty good. When it is worse, what's it like for you? When it's at its absolute worst, I just want to die every day, every second of every day. I, I look at things around me and wonder how I could kill myself with them, how I can make an accident happen. I consider myself worthless and simply here for the the bane or pleasure of somebody else. And there's really just no desire to continue on and no desire to move forward. When did this first start for you? I would say it started around the same time as puberty. When I was a kid, um, I have a lot of trauma in my life. Um I was born to parents who were too young, and my dad was addicted to drugs. Uh, Glue was his choice. And um, it it led to a lot of foster care very early in my life. Um, I was adopted at five, but they were abusive um, sexually um, as well as emotionally and later physically. And um, But it didn't stop me from being interested in things, from being confident in myself. Um, I've always loved singing and writing. And when I was a kid, I found the energy to do those really easily. But around the age of nine was when I started to develop and puberty really started to hit. And even though I was still going out and trying things like uh, going out for school plays, um, just the, the confidence wasn't there because of the emotional abuse and the sexual abuse. And I feel like hormonally just, uh, it it began to switch. So it really, it really started around puberty at the age of nine. I think what you were also doing is, um, when you have a situation like you have, you were protecting yourself, weren't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when I did go out for that school play, uh, I actually got the lead. I played Mary Poppins. And uh, the whole time, it was just about how, you know, every success I had was 
a, a curse to the family. It was a hardship. Um, you know, they didn't understand how I got it anyway. Just stupid things like that. Mm. And so you do eventually just stop trying. And I, I do feel that my depression is both a, a learned thing and partially uh, genetic. I, I did meet up with my biological family later in life. Uh, I ended up dumping my adoptive family. I haven't spoken to them in uh, 20 years now. But um, my grandmother suffers from depression a little bit. So I think it's it's a bit of a dual a dual thing. What was it like for you when you met your biological parents? Oh, my gosh. It was uh, – well, my dad is still a drug addict, <laughs> uh, but he's still kicking. Um, and, and my mom, uh, it was – it was tedious. Um, you know, you you have to live up to other people's expectations. And obviously, with my history, I really was looking for a mom. And uh, I, I left my adoptive family at 17. And I met my biological mother at 22. So in the five-year period, I actually had a daughter myself. Um, and not having a mother in that time, obviously, it was, uh, you know, it was hard. And she was hoping to get adult kids that she could go and hang out with. And, uh, and so we tried for about a year. I actually moved in with her. The funny thing is that, uh, I was, I was born and adopted out of Ohio. And so when I was searching for my mother, I was searching in Ohio. And when she was searching for me, she was also searching in Ohio, but I had moved to California, uh, about six months after my adoption and about three months before that, she had also moved out to California. So we were never more than, than four or five hours away from each other the whole time. But when we finally didn't meet up, it just it, it didn't quite work. And we took some time apart. And, and now we have a very cordial relationship. I think we've both mellowed out and, and just have a mutual respect for each other. And your dad? Uh, my dad, I uh, I call. Well, I don't actually don't call him. He calls me when he has the minutes. <laughs> and, you know, it's always easier to be the fun, absent parent. So we have, you know, we have a fun relationship. Uh, we get along, but it's it's very estranged. Now, during your bouts of depression, have you been on antidepressants at all? Yes. When I was 17, and um, I actually put myself back into foster care when I was 17 in order to get away from the abuse, thanks to some incredible friends of mine uh, who really uh, encouraged me. And uh, at that time, I went to the family doctor and told him that I think I'm depressed and I would like to try Prozac, which was all the rage at the time. And he said, okay. And he gave me a prescription for it. And they kept refilling it. And I, I did that for a few months. And I did feel better. But I couldn't afford it. And I, I didn't keep it up. When I found myself... Uh, because when I, I had my daughter, I chose to do adoption as well. But I chose an open adoption. So I'm still in her life. And uh, you know, I just wanted her to have a better balanced family than I felt I could give her. And um, it's been a great choice. She just graduated high school. She's amazing. But I was really worried about the depression that would come after it. So I had tried since Prozac, the patent had run out. Naturally, the newest thing that my doctor wanted to put me on was Paxil uh, because my insurance wouldn't cover the Prozac anymore. And 
Paxil, my sister had tried um, my, my throughout all of this. My biological sister was with me. Uh, we went through the adoption and the abuse and the foster care together. And she has her own mental health issues, though they tend to lean more towards other things than depression. And um, she had already tried Paxil and she was like, take it at night because it's going to make you really, really sick. And she was right. I, I took it at night and I woke up uh, overnight with the worst stomach cramps. And then when I woke up that morning, I was pretty much catatonic. Uh, my boyfriend at the time came over and he couldn't talk to me. He was worried about me. Um, I've never felt so out of it in my life. And so I stopped that. And I, um, I, I pretty much begged my doctor for, pack, uh, for, the, for the Prozac, um, which he, he let me have. I did that for a few months and I felt fine. And with the use of cannabis, I started smoking cannabis at the age of 18. Um, you know, I, I really felt like a lot of it was more managed outside of a lot of drinking. I had a big drinking problem too. So that definitely didn't help any, but usually a lot of my depression would spiral out of control when I had a really bad job, when I had a really terrible boss, when I felt, Basically, like I was back in my abusive home with no way out, which is a silly feeling because you can quit, right? But for some reason, we talk ourselves into the fact that we can't quit. And usually that that's what gets me going again. And so I happened to have a really bad job around the time of the economic crisis and uh, when the bubble burst, you know, that which blunt? I know it's so hard, right? But... I, I was just, it was back to that suicidal every day. How can I just end all of this pain? And uh, I went back on the Prozac and I I just went to a doctor because I had insurance at the time. And she was like, have you ever been prescribed Prozac before? And I said, yes. And that was the end of that. She wrote me a script. And I was on Prozac for about a year. I was like, maybe I'm just depressed forever. This is just my life now. And... After about seven months, I really couldn't tell the difference between being medicated and being depressed. I, Prozac really broke me being on it that long. Um, I really feel like something changed in my brain where all I could feel was the sadness and it was impossible to feel happy. Like I, I did not remember what it felt like to feel happy even after I went on it, even two years after I was off of it. I really attribute a lot of my success in getting back to, to feeling like a normal person to cannabis. So you just felt numb all the time. All the, I mean, numb and depressed, yeah. numb and suicidal, uh, you know, suicidal with absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel. It sounds like you were almost completely like engulfed in despair and depression. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It consumed my life until I got drunk enough to have fun. <laughs> you know, I uh, used to converse quite regularly with a fellow at uh, the Y where I, I go to work out. And uh, this was about uh, five or six weeks ago. And uh, I was chatting with him and his name was Ron. And I said, Ron, uh, are you running much? And because he was a runner, he says, no, not much because I'm on different medication. And I didn't ask him what medication he was on. But two days later, his body was found on the beach 
and what he'd done is he'd put some rocks in a backpack and put it on and managed to secure his hands together in front of them in front of him and walked into the ocean and drowned and he was suffering from depression and That's i didn't terrible. i didn't know it but and i also have another friend maybe it's me but i have another friend who is <laughs> Terrible. I think what you're missing, though, in the story, though, Ian, is that he had just started a new medication. That's right. I missed that out. Yes. Yeah, he he'd started there. on a new medication, and he seemed fine. But uh, your story uh, just brought that to mind because your story about the Paxil and how it made you numb. And I'm not <laughs> sure what he was on. But there was a little story at the at the Y they put up and said, uh, I guess his family put it up, said uh, uh, Ron suffered from depression. Ron died from depression. That's what it said. Mm. That's true. And I have another friend who uh, uh, has glaucoma. He's depressed and uh, he's going blind. And some days he's fine. Other days he said the demons have got me today. People who don't suffer from depression have no idea. Just how yeah. horrible it is. Just how horrible it is, do they? Yeah, and if you've always suffered with depression, you really it's really hard to imagine life on the opposite end. It is so hard to imagine just waking up in the morning and having energy to live your life, and these are what you got to do, and these are your goals, and I, that's a Hollywood thing. It's not what real people act like, but the truth is that that's what life can actually be. Now, when you started taking cannabis, how did it make you feel? So when I first started taking cannabis, I was 18. And being in California, um, I had a wide range of different qualities. So I actually started out with some pretty high quality indica. And and that really helped me feel relaxed. It wasn't great for my depression, but it, it definitely made me feel more mellow. You were just and smoking it? Sorry. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, no worries. Um yeah, I was just smoking it. Okay, thank you. So, um, before that, uh, my adoptive parents had always threatened to to take me to be drug tested because they always wanted to blame my behavior on drugs and and not them, of course. So, I was really averse to to trying cannabis when I was younger. But one of my foster sisters, when I was older, kind of talked me into it after a boy I liked. Uh, he, I, I know that he smoked, so I was like, ah. I got to get in on this crowd. And uh, I got really sick the first time because I was drinking. I got really, really sick. Uh, it wasn't great quality either. But a lot of times after that, once I got better quality, it was exactly what I liked. It just helped me feel mellow. It helped my brain turn off. Uh, it helped me sleep. And uh, also as a young rebel, you know, it was it just helped me feel cool. I did a lot to, to buy into the uh, the persona of it. Are your depressive episodes more frequent or less frequent as a result of your cannabis use? So I got my medical recommendation about five years ago. And since I got that, cannabis has done nothing but help my depression before I had my medical recommendation, when it was just a matter of getting whatever my dealer had, 
it could have gone anyway. It really is dependent on the kind of cannabis that I'm using at the time. And Indica's can really set me back into a very depressive state pretty quickly if I overuse them. Mm-hmm. Um, with education and access, I've really been able to tailor my daytime use to only sativas or only sativa dominant hybrids and keep my indica just for pain or my indica dominant hybrids, uh, which are a really big difference for me. Um, and then just have a, a really tailored dose of indica at night to help me sleep. And then I layer it all with CBD to just keep that kind of emotional balance there and to, to make sure that everything's running smoothly. And this is all in smoking form, or are you doing different ways of no, doing it? No, I I do everything now. Okay. Um, there's I'm kind of a no holds barred cannabis user. So usually for night, I take an edible, and throughout the day, I'm a big fan of dabbing, but I also smoke flour. And then for the CBD, it's usually an edible. I like to uh, mix that with a coconut oil or an MCT oil. Though I just got some krill oil, so I can play with the omega threes because. I listened to your podcast from last week. <laughs> oh, yeah, with uh, Marcel. Marcel. Yeah. Gnack, yeah. That was interesting, wasn't it? About using omega-3s and opening up the uh, CB1 and CB2 receptors, receptors, all of them, as opposed to... Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I had always suspected that hemp oil was the best thing to play with, but one, it's much more expensive than coconut oil uh, or even MCT oil sometimes. And then it doesn't heat very well. So a lot of my edibles are made um, to be activated. So I decarboxylate them first. And the hemp oil doesn't respond well to the, the heat activation. But now that we have the CBD isolates, um, it really doesn't matter. I can get an isolate and just kind of let it emulsify over time and, and it's already activated so i'm really excited to try and play with that well for um listeners who might not know can you explain what decarboxylation is please absolutely so when you have the cannabinoid on the cannabis plant thc it's not actually thc yet if it's a fresh plant it's thc a or the acidic form yes and so we we also call that the raw cannabinoid In order to actually make that molecule accessible to your brain, to allow it to pass through the blood-brain barrier, it has to release a carboxyl group from its molecule structure. And you do that by heat or, over time, light, warmth, and oxygen. But the fastest way to do it is through heat. Which is why smoking cannabis is not only the most popular way to use it, it's one of the most effective. And... You can take that same concept into just using the flour in your oven, in your kitchen to make your edibles. Because if you just take raw cannabinoids to make your edibles and don't heat them at all, it's not going to cross that blood-brain barrier to get you high. But it has completely different medicinal properties, so it could still help you feel really good in other ways. Have you thought of taking the hemp seed oil that is sold in health food stores and places like Whole Foods? Yes. And and I did for a while um, when I was experimenting probably like four years ago, I had some hemp seed oil that I had tried to cold press and it worked, but it it wasn't as convenient for me again, because um, the coconut oil, it travels really well. I put them in capsules and I can keep them that way. The hemp oil is 
doesn't respond well to heat um, and it can break it down and make it rancid so it doesn't travel as well. And then, again, decarboxylating the material first uh, with the coconut oil to help it emulsify, you heat process it again. And with the hemp oil, I don't believe that it responds really well to that heat processing. So I, I just kind of fell out of fashion with it and have really just stuck with the coconut oil. But I'm really excited. Like I said, with the isolates, the fact that I can buy a gram or a 99.1 to 99.9% pure CBD isolate, I don't have to do the heat processing whatsoever. So I'll definitely be going out to, uh, I think the, the GNC or I've got like a sprouts out here. They, uh, I don't know, whatever's the good at the best price. I'm a cheap stoner. So <laughs> well, can you explain what an isolate is again for listeners who might not know? Absolutely. An isolate is when you process the plant until it's a single compound. So the most popular compound in cannabis is THC. But if you whittle everything else out to where all you have left is THC, you're left with the uh, the pharmaceutical equivalent called Marinol, which has been found to be fairly ineffective for a lot of things. But if you are really sensitive to the other parts of the cannabis plant, the aromatic compounds known as terpenes, for example, or if you are sensitive to THC itself but would like to use another part of the cannabis plant like CBD, then you can actually get yourself an isolate. So they just distill it, distill it, distill it until there's nothing left or very little left but a single compound. And it makes it much easier to work with. Great. That was really nicely explained. Bo, you know your stuff. You do know your stuff. Well, I do have a whole uh, podcast, uh, a stoner apologist podcast, as it were, I guess. Stoner apologist. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we. I, I found myself working in a dispensary about five years ago, and it completely changed my my life. It just, it blew my mind. I learned about CBD, and then I learned about the endocannabinoid system, and, and I was just like, I mean, I knew we'd been lied to, but I mean, this is this is of a criminal nature at this point, and I it's just I haven't been able to shut up about it. I could not sell a fur coat to a naked Eskimo before I started selling weed. And the nice thing about weed is that it sells itself, so it's really easy to get behind it and and get other people behind it too. But uh, I've definitely never felt just so invigorated by anything before the fact that I, I really feel like I get to have my cake and eat it too on this one. But when you were working in the dispensary, did people come in and tell you stories about how cannabis has improved their health and changed them? Yes. Uh, well, the thing is with the dispensary that I worked at, we were actually a delivery. So I started out as a delivery driver and you would go into people's homes. And one of the interesting things about being a delivery driver as opposed to a bud tender in a dispensary is you get to work with people who can't leave their homes, whether that be anxiety or neuropathy or just, you know, limited mobility for any number of reasons. When those people get to tell you about how it changes their lives, you know, when you have to walk into somebody's door during a certain time, because that's the only time that their caretaker was there to leave it open for you, 
and you understand the kind of vulnerability that people have to put themselves in just to want to wake up in the morning. Yeah, it's that that didn't hurt either <laughs> as far as the life changing part. Mm-hmm. Bo, did um, you did you have any other health issues that you treated with uh, cannabis or depression was good enough to have? Eh? I mean, depression is the biggest one. And, you know, there's a lot of anxiety with that. If um, like currently right now I'm dealing with my depression, it's at a four and it's really kind of more of an anxiety based depression. Um, and so the CBD is really important in getting me out of that. But I treat it like a whole range of things that would be associated with the PTSD from abuse. I, I've been, I have other sexual traumas in my past as well that happened just from, you know, in, in the process of trying to deal with all the abuse I had as a kid, um, I, I was raped multiple times. And so there's a lot of anxiety issues that come from that. Mm. And um, so I treat a whole range of things, body pain. It would be another one. Um, and since I am such a stoner and I love this plan so much, I actively look to look to always be implementing cannabis some way into my life. Uh, one of the ways that I'm doing it right now that has nothing to do with depression is when I was five, I broke my leg and I have been walking incorrectly ever since I've basically been walking like I've been in a cast and a friend of mine uh, is a yoga instructor, helped me realign my stance so that I can start walking normally. And this is a really intense process of strengthening muscles that have never been used, of releasing muscles that have been overused, and very tight tendons. And the mixture of THC, THCA, and most surprisingly to me, CBD is incredibly important topically have been instrumental in pushing my my progression forward with this physical therapy. Uh, I know that brain trauma is kind of the, the button issue for a lot of sports uh, and cannabis topics, but when we're treating injuries, it is so much more than just about you know, brain injuries. This is knees and backs and these professional athletes really, really need immediate cannabinoid therapy. I mean, anybody does as far as I'm concerned, but there's just so much more that they could be doing with it. Bo, are you walking differently now? I am. I mean, I'm really focused on actively changing and engaging my my stance and my stride uh, to be more accurate and it loosens up everything from my knees into my hips and it can be really really painful as i move through it but it's also really exciting to get better stability in in my stance to feel stronger my jump has improved so much i've never been able to jump before and i realize that's because i i've been going at it completely wrong (laughs) so you know, given the trauma that you've had in your life, one of the things I'm thinking that would be a benefit to you is something called rolfing. Have you ever heard of rolfing? I have not. Rolfing was, um, I forget the woman's name who invented it, but it's a system where it's almost like muscle pressure. And the therapist, what they do is they go along your, your muscles and your tendons, and we all carry uh, trauma within our bodies, and sometimes it forms as knots. And when the person gets to the knot, uh, they slowly work through it until the knot disappears. 
And I had went rolfing in Vancouver. I did about 20 sessions, and it was just amazing what it does for you. I used to go to a chiropractor about, uh, oh, maybe every three weeks. And during the year I was in Vancouver, I never went once because of the rolfing session. And the woman told me that at some times when she gives a, a session to an individual who's had trauma in their life, they start to cry because the trauma is released. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just thinking that given all that's happened to you in your life and you've had some very horrific things happen to you, I'm wondering if that may be of benefit to you. It's something that you might want to look into. Yeah, I would definitely be interested. It, it's um, one of the things that I'm doing that is similar to it is actually Kundalini yoga, where they really focus on or they, they give you, um, they're called Kriya, where you can really focus in on very specific muscle groups, muscle movements, and parts of your limbic system that really promote the flushing of it and the release of trauma. And I cry at almost every single Kundalini session, every single one. And then I've gotten a couple really deep tissue massages from my Kundalini instructor. Um, and I can 100% believe that that yeah the ralphing would would work yeah no i think you're on the right track where where do you think you would be in life today without cannabis without cannabis honestly if i hadn't discovered an alternative to alcohol at 18 i'd be i'd be dead um at that time i'd already ended up in the hospital from alcohol poisoning um and i woke up from my blackout to see the crisis team over me because apparently I had been ranting suicidally the entire time. At that point, I really had no respect for myself. I've really disassociated from my body for a lot of my life. And yoga in the last couple of years has really been helping me get that back. Um, I was really adverse to harder drugs because I had a lot of DARE education and, um, and I knew you know, th- there wasn't really anything super scary about cannabis, especially after you saw people using it. But when you saw people coked up or on heroin or meth, it was a b- really different story. And so having having seen that, I might have fallen into it if I didn't have a good, safer alternative. Because it's only been within the last four years where I've had really as much access to cannabis as I wanted and needed that I've been able to stop drinking as much. And there would be periods in my life where it just, it took over everything. Well, I, I, I can't imagine my life. I can't imagine being here without it. Well, I think you're doing all the right things now. And I think you're well on the road to, uh, I don't want to say recovery, but uh, rec- yeah. recuperation, I guess. I do think there is a certain level of recovery that I can get to, even though it is a lifelong management issue. Uh, You know, I do think that you can unlock, like you say, you know, the traumas and release them and retrain your brain by giving it the fluidity to do that and by actively encouraging the the responses that you actually want. And I think that's one of the best tricks about cannabis is that in the moment I can redirect myself into a better place and quitting that cycle as quickly as possible 
uh, as well as, you know, the, the CBD to create a, a better hormonal stability. CBD during my, my menstrual cycle has also been really, really important. It doesn't get rid of the depression, but it really helps me fight through it much more effectively. I, I lost my train of thought there. No, I was just gonna... <laughs> <laughs> no, I do that all the time. Bo, uh, in conclusion, give us, a, give us a plug for your podcast. Uh, well, I mean, if the stoner apology doesn't get you and uh, some of my my well-reasoned arguments for the use of medical cannabis, uh, I'm a lot funnier on there. I can tell you that. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I really try and tailor it to be as thorough and thoughtful and a place for people who might jive with my personality to get to understand cannabis better. I, I talk about everything from how to discuss indica and sativa uh, to how to pass a drug test to how to fly with your weed. Um, last week, I just discussed cannabis hyperemesis, which is when people become violently ill from the use of cannabis. And it's a really under under-researched area. It's a very misunderstood area. It's a really new concept for a lot of people. And a lot of my people, a lot of us stoners really fight it. And it's still a really important thing to uh, to acknowledge. Um, if I had to make an elevator pitch, I would say if you want to better understand how to help cannabis apply to you, listen to the Spliff podcast. Very well said. Bo, Thank great you. to talk to you. Thank you. It is my pleasure. Uh, Thanks, like I Bo. said, I'm a huge fan. I love what you guys do. Thank you so much for your efforts and endeavors. Uh, they are greatly appreciated. And that's another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.